Welcome. You are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for joining us for the Prairie Times. My name is Heidi Pate. Our first story is by B. John Jablonski called Valentine's Day. We designate one day of the year to encourage us to pay tribute to our loved ones. We set aside February 14th, Valentine's Day, each year so we can pause and give thought to that special man or woman in our lives that means so much to us. Our world would not be the same without them. We try to make up in one day for any heartache that our neglect throughout the year has caused. Greeting card companies like Hallmark have the lion's share of verses in their Valentine cards. Start with the phrase, I know I never tell you enough how much you mean to me and how empty my life would be without you. It is human nature to take things for granted. The roof will never leak, water will always go down the drain, and we will always be healthy. Until the rain finds its way into our homes, greasy dishwater clogs the drain, and we run to the cupboard for an antacid after eating a bit of spicy dip. Only then do we take the time to repair what could have been preventable. This is not only true of the immediate surroundings that our daily comfort depends on in life, but also in our dealings with those dear to us. We have a tendency to neglect them and take them for granted. Because of this, many relationships sour. We leave friends by the wayside as we travel our path in life, and family ties no longer are as close and binding as they once were. This can be especially true between a husband and wife. The high rate of divorce cases brought before the courts bear this out. It need not be so. It should not be so. In all the above instances, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Just like a weekly dose of drain cleaner keeps the water flowing down the drain, Regular recognition of thoughtful actions and deeds done on our behalf by a loved one will allow love to grow and flow freely between partners. If you know you've been lax in acknowledgement of your loved one's efforts to please, it's time for some changes before it's too late. It need not be any big deal. A simple, thank you, honey, that was a delicious supper or an unexpected sneak-up hug accompanied by a soft kiss on the nape of the neck with a whispered, I love you, go a long way towards cementing a relationship that will stand the test of time. In the fast-paced, glistsy world we live in today, it is easy to forget these small acts of love can better express our feelings than any card money can buy. They have an endearing impact on a loved one. There are only so many baubles and jewels our spouse can wear at once, and a dozen roses in a vase last only so long. Yet there is room and a need for these 
But what lingers longest in the mind, long after the fact, is the sincere spoken word and the little unexpected validations that show our affection. They are priceless, can't be bought, and when given freely are a sign of true love. I can find examples of the effect of devotion in the society pages of our daily newspapers. Pictures of couples celebrating their golden anniversaries portray people from all walks of life who have found this secret to a happy life together. They've been there to see one another through the many hardships that befall us all. They've been there for each other to ease the pain and heartache of sickness and storm clouds. Their love is strong, secure. It has been reinforced and strengthened throughout the years by small, spur-of-the-moment acts that let their partner know how much they are valued and cherished simply because they are a part of their lives. They did not take one another for granted. Theirs is a December kind of love. It has endured through all the seasons of their lives. They were never concerned about how many years they had been together. Instead, as much as was humanly possible, they recognized with each passing one that each of them was a blessing to the other. When they were young and first wed, I'm sure she thought of him as a Greek god, and he thought of her a goddess. Together, it seemed there was nothing they couldn't accomplish. During those early years, the flames of passion burned brightly in that fireplace within us all, that place we call the heart. It is good that this is so. It is the base upon which to build a happy marriage. Some people believe love is wasted on the young. I disagree. If you have ever seen a young lad and lassie in love, there's no mistaking how they feel about one another. They walk slowly, heads together, holding hands, as they make conversation about one or the other feels important. The most essential item to each of them is at that moment in time and the welfare of the other. Memories of those initial days last a lifetime. It's a time of minimal worry. It's the two of them against the world. Over the years, they will look back on this exciting period of their relationship with fondness. Regardless of how many years, be it many or few, since you and your beloved have shared this special time, each year presents us with an opportunity to rekindle the flame of love. We should also remember one other item. Add a little something special to the hearth regularly. Keep the flame burning brightly throughout the year. May this Valentine's Day be extra special in your lives. The world needs love. Some say love is what makes the world go around. Truer words were never spoken. Therefore, to my wife Annie, happy Valentine's Day, honey. Our next story is by M. Don Reich, called My Adventure. 
Labor Day has forever been exactly that in the Reich household. Stay home and work on house projects. Boring. This year was different. Mick decided to take me somewhere on Monday so I could kayak while he sat in a camp chair on the shore and read a sci-fi novel. So it happened that on Sunday we learned of the Catamount Reservoirs on Pikes Peak. All these years in this state, and I never heard of them. Monday came and off we went. We drove south on I-25 to 24 West to Pikes Peak Highway. The day seemed specially made for us. Vibrant blue skies, fluffy clouds, the temperature perfect. North Catamount Reservoir was stunningly beautiful. I inflated my little yellow craft and launched on a new adventure. As is my custom, I explored every nook and cranny of the crystal clear body of water. One inlet had no sign of human visitation and was totally still and silent. My eyes drank in the beauty while my soul soaked up the restorative quiet. Hmm, reminiscent of the most familiar psalm. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Cruising on, for there was much to see, including fisher folks on the shore, while the fish leapt as high as twelve inches above the water's surface out there while I paddled. Either these edible creatures couldn't understand my language when I encouraged them to go towards the bait, or they knew they were safer out by me. Portions of the lake were smooth as glass, while others had a slight current pushing or pulling me. I soon realized there were more acres to paddle than I thought. For a moment, but only that, I considered not following my custom. I may never come here again. I have to see it and paddle it all. On I went, farther from where I launched. A thought that I have to get back, do I have enough in me, drifted through my mind. Stroke, stroke, stroke. No gentle push here to help. Now using landmarks as goals to get me to the end of the reservoir. I'll go up to that tree and see how I feel. To the rock up ahead and then I'll turn around. Within a few yards of my goal, I noticed a change. The winds came up. Something in me said, turn around now. Obeying, I now paddled into a wind, creating waves with white caps. All systems went on alert. This was my first time kayaking in these conditions. I was not sure how my little boat would do. It was a pretty bumpy ride. I had to keep stroking or I would lose ground quickly. Fear tried to join me with headline thoughts. Kayaker lost on North Catamount. The near panic was short-lived as I prayed for calm and the strength to complete this adventure. I found it scary and exhilarating at the same time. After a few minutes of intense paddling, my arms grew tired. In a brief break between wind gusts, I rested a bit and rode the waves, but never relaxed my attention to the conditions. Back to serious stroking. 
I got in a bit of a rhythm, but I could not fully return to the still place of an hour ago. Again, I used visible markers on the shore to help me not think about how far I still had to go. There were few others on the lake, and they were far away. Getting help was not an option. I had to finish this myself. I set my focus on the destination and paddled on. My arms got over being tired and went on autopilot. I became one with my yellow craft as we fought the blustery wind and white, choppy waves. This continued for many minutes, until I noticed other kayakers just floating and looking up. As I reached them, the wind decreased. I relaxed my pace and gazed upward to find a beautiful bald eagle soaring on the breeze, swooping down, then back up in a showy display of majesty. As I took it in, it reminded me of how I have always wanted to soar like an eagle. The rest of the journey to where I had launched and to Mick was a joy. I had just experienced an adventure that was a picture of life. Our next story is by Rachel Covacini called Clara Brown, Angel of the Rockies. This is the West of Yesteryear section. Why were a woman in her 80s and her middle-aged daughter sitting in the middle of a muddy Iowa street, hugging, laughing, and crying one rainy day in 1882? Because Clara Brown, the angel of the Rockies, had finally found her long-lost daughter. Clara Brown was born a slave in Virginia around the year 1800. Like most enslaved people, she never knew her actual birth date because no one recorded it. So her ages in this article are estimates. Her owner sold Clara and her mother to a tobacco farmer who permitted them to attend the local Methodist church. There, Clara learned the basics of Christianity and her faith would guide her every action later in life. When Clara was 18, she married another slave, Robert. Together they had four children, Richard, Margaret, and twins, Eliza Jane and Paulina Ann. Tragically, Paulina Ann drowned when she was eight years old, but the other three children enjoyed a rarity in the enslaved world. They lived with their mother for many years. However, when Clara was 35, her master died. All the slaves went to an auction. The entire family got separated. Clara never saw her husband, son, or daughter Margaret again. Clara went to a Kentucky man named George Brown. She cared for his three daughters and eventually adopted the family's last name as her own. When George Brown died, he freed Clara in his will. Now in her fifties, she moved to St. Louis because she had heard of one of her daughters may have moved west and passed through there. Around that time, Clara learned her daughter Margaret had died of a fever. From St. Louis, Clara worked her way west, always searching for news of her family. 
She arrived in Denver as part of a wagon train in 1859. Denver was barely large enough to be called a town, much less a city. Reportedly, Clara was the first black woman to live in Denver, though there were about 20 black men there. Clara opened a laundry there, but left after about a year following the gold rush to Central City, Colorado. She opened another laundry and also worked as a midwife, nurse, and cook. In Central City, Clara worked hard and saved up enough money to fund the building of St. James Methodist Church, where she attended services and taught Sunday school. She began buying real estate and investing in mines. She often grub-staked new miners, loaning them the money to buy their equipment for the promise of a share in their findings. Clara was so successful in her many ventures that her savings account at the local bank grew to more than $10,000. Although she saved much of her money, Clara Brown did not hoard it. Anyone who needed a meal or a place to stay had only to ask for help, and she gave it. She believed she should act out her Christian faith by helping others the way Christ taught in the Bible. It didn't matter to her what race, religion, gender, or reputations a person had. She freely gave to anyone in need. She helped people find jobs and housing, nursed the sick, and delivered babies. After the Civil War ended, Clara funded an entire wagon train of former slaves who wanted to move west and start new lives. All of that philanthropy earned her the nickname Angel of the Rockies. By the 1880s, Clara Brown had given away all her money. Now, at 80 years old, she sold her laundry business and moved back to Denver. All these years, she had continued to write letters to people all over the country who might help her track down her family members. Finally, in 1882, Clara received news that a former slave named Eliza Jane was living near Council Bluffs, Iowa. This woman was the right age to be Clara's daughter and came from Virginia. Clara traveled to Iowa where she discovered this Eliza Jane was indeed her long-lost daughter. Newspapers all over the country reported on the joyous reunion. When Clara and Eliza Jane saw each other, they threw their arms around each other, laughing and crying so hard they fell over into the mud. They were so happy to have found each other they did not want to let go, even long enough to stand back up and sat there, embracing in the middle of the street. Eliza Jane and her family moved to Denver and lived with her mother until Clara's death in 1885. Clara's years of searching were over, and she died surrounded by her grandchildren and her daughter. Her years as the Angel of the Rockies had touched lives great and small, and both the mayor of Denver and the governor of Colorado attended her funeral. 
And now available from Rachel Covacini, My Rock and My Refuge. When a German baker and her brother take jobs working for a wealthy, disfigured recluse, they're only hoping to earn enough money to help their parents regain their family's bakery. But they discover that gold and silver aren't the only treasures hiding in the Colorado mountains. This is a Western Beauty and the Beast retelling. You can purchase Rachel's book now at Amazon.com or visit Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-K-O-V-A-C-I-N-Y dot com. My Rock and My Refuge by Rachel Covacini. And from the Elbert County Connection, keeping citizens informed and up-to-date on county government, I'll read to you a story, actually an article called A Very Early and Very Snowy Winter Hits the County. Commissioners thank Road and Bridge. On the morning of January 25th, county commissioners took the opportunity between two large winter storms to express their thanks to the Road and Bridge Department employees for their tireless efforts to keep our roads clear. These thanks came in the form of heartfelt words, breakfast burritos, and donuts. In January, after almost nine months with no appreciable moisture, Mother Nature decided it was time to correct her error. In many areas of the county, a foot of heavy, wet, spring-like snow covered our landscape. Several storms in rapid succession kept our crews on back-to-back, 12-hour shifts in plow trucks on pavement, and graders on our extensive gravel road network. The Public Works Department has replaced the aging road fleet as the budget has allowed. The new graders and plow trucks are safer, more reliable, and more comfortable for lengthy shifts than the equipment replaced. The new public works facility taking shape east of Kiowa will soon ensure that critical equipment can be kept out of the elements and help staff respond even more quickly when the weather changes. Though we continue to seek improvements over time, we have to deal with the present. Sub-zero temperatures left de-icing fluid ineffective and our roads treacherous. Yet, these employees never give up as they know our citizens depend on them. In what seems like a never-ending job, especially when the wind picks up and already cleared roads drift over, the men and women of Road and Bridge keep at it. While every citizen knows the conditions of the roads they travel daily, few can understand the tremendous difference weather can have across our large county. With five school districts to support, commuters in the west and northwest parts of the county, ranchers that need to get out to the cattle down in the L, and lots of windswept prairies in between. Keeping 275 miles of pavement and nearly 1,100 miles of gravel roads clear is a daunting task. To put it in perspective, the lane miles of gravel road in Elbert County, if laid end to end, would reach 
from Washington, D.C. to Las Vegas, Nevada. With all this in mind, the commissioners felt the least we could do was join this team and provide breakfast burritos and a big thank you on behalf of the 27,000 citizens of Elbert County. These 50 individuals deserve much more, but we wanted them to know that they are truly appreciated. If you have the opportunity to show gratitude to a greater operator on your route or see a crew patching a damaged portion of pavement, please take a moment to let them know you thank them for their work. And property tax deferral for program for seniors in active military. Beginning in January, the Colorado State Treasury expanded its current property tax deferral program to include a tax growth cap increase based on prior year's tax bills and continues to offer programs to Colorado seniors and active military members. You can call for assistance. Customer care representatives are available to help eligible Coloradans with Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at phone number 833-634-2513. The Customer Care Contact Center can assist with general program information, program requirements and qualification questions, website navigation, questions and troubleshooting, and reporting website outages to the technical team if needed. For more information, visit colorado.propertytaxdeferral.com. Thank you for joining us for the Prairie Times. My name is Heidi Pate.